John, since when does infrastructure mean shoveling $400 billion into home health care? David, hundreds of thousands of people are waiting for care to the home. Let me explain. Can't wait to hear. Welcome to Care Talk, your American-made home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. Well, John, we're talking infrastructure today for some reason. Now, my question is, I thought infrastructure was all about roads and bridges. What the heck does that have to do with healthcare? Oh, you of narrow thinking. I mean, infrastructure is the capability we have as a country to prevail and succeed in the future. It's a much broader concept than those those simple-minded notions from the 60s of sort of the bridges and tunnel crowd. If you really want to invest in America, you've got to think about people. You've got to think about uh, our capabilities for research and development. You have to think about home care, David. It's all about care to the home. We're ca- Remember, we're care-centric focused. It's not just about bridges and tunnels. John, we're gonna, I know we're going to get right to talking about care in the home because that's actually a lot of what this infrastructure thing is about. Now, the official name of it is the American Jobs Plan. And I do think it's kind of a, a euphemism. What? It's a, yeah, AJP. People are happier to hear about, you know, about infrastructure because it kind of sounds big and manly as compared to like, you know, helping a poor person. That's kind of, that's for wimps. Well, I, I think that the interesting thing about this infrastructure bill is, I mean, it's cleverly called jobs because if we push a couple of trillion bucks through the system, you'd hope a few more people would be employed. And I think the Biden approach is is to is to win over the public and then try to pull the legislators with him. But but really, this cons this broader concept of infrastructure, of investing in social infrastructure, investing in research, of thinking about the backbone of the country as being people as well as things that people use is quite quite powerful. And for example, the the healthcare piece of it, not just the nineteen billion dollars that's involved with VA hospitals. But the four hundred billion, can you count it, David, for home health and care to the home in general, is an investment in in, in improving healthcare in an aging America. It makes good sense. It's actually quite a bold plan. Um, you know, the White House compares it, I think, correctly with something on the scale of the interstate highway system or the space race. But they explicitly say, you know, this time it's also addressing racial injustice. Like this is a this is a bold uh, move. And as you say, you know. Home care is not just some little thing that's buried into it. It's actually four hundred billion. Now, now that we have, have start talking in trillions, it's 0.4 trillion, I guess, in home care. And it's very telling that they would call it infrastructure and then focus on you know care in the home. I think the the healthcare system here actually has plenty of physical infrastructure. A lot of hospitals. You even had with the High Tech Act uh, back when Obama was uh, coming into office you know, to bring in electronic medical records. Now, no, this is very much focused on people and being at home and being really, um, you know, close to where the action is and really building on this idea of essential workers, meaning home care workers in this case, that they should have a living wage. Well, I think there's a bunch of things here. First of all, that that paying people a fair wage, I mean, the average wage of a home care worker, I think is like $17,100. It's many of them are paid well under fifteen. And there's only like two or three uh, cities in America where you can afford to live on uh, less anything less than $15 an hour. So to bring people up to a fairer wage 
well above that 17.1 would be really important. Uh, the other thing about the reason why racial injustice is relevant is a disproportionate number of those essential workers uh, from unskilled through skilled labor going to the home, nurses, PAs, techs, um, social workers. Uh, they are disproportionately uh, from poor communities and people of color that have been particularly hard hit by COVID. But but this is a very big problem, David. We have, I think, 800,000 um, elderly people who are vulnerable and sick who are qualified for long-term care services in the home who are stuck on a waiting list. This We could clear the waiting list, pay people fairly, and actually start to, you know, in, in an aging America, build a, an infrastructure that's resilient and caring and, and put the care back into long-term care. John, you talk about hundreds of thousands, like I think 800,000 people on the waiting list. You talk about you know other countries having waiting lists, so-called, and we have a big one right here. So this goes right at that. It was a campaign promise uh, of, of President Biden to go after that. You know, there's some always these weird things with government programs. And I, and I heard this one, maybe you can explain it to me. There's this concept of a program called money follows the person. You know, I'm like, I keep looking over the back of my shoulder to see, I don't see any money following me. What the heck is that? Oh, that it probably is, David. It's just, it's probably crypto and it's very, it's, it's, it's <laughs> no, but seriously, David, the money follows the, the person or the patient is really powerful. We overspend systematically to keep people into nursing homes, long-term care facilities, and hospitals. And we underspend, invest, and support the infrastructure and care to the home, whether it's aging in place, caring for those who suffer from dementia. Um, but it, you know, you're, you're talking about uh, a, we as systematically spend, let's say, anywhere between three and 10 times as much to keep people in institutions as it would cost for us for, to care them in the community. So money follows the person means simply that, for example, a, a, for states like Illinois and um, and uh, New Mexico, where they have equalized the payment of care to the home and nursing homes, they've been able to keep the nursing home beds flat while the population of people who would be otherwise nursing home uh, qualified has gone up by a factor of 3x because they've invested in that infrastructure in the community because the money follows the person or the patient. And let's be, let, and let's be serious. If we can get care to the home right, you're actually allowing people to, to age and heal in a more dignified way than, than even the best hospitals and nursing homes can promise. John, did you write this bill? <laughs> no, it's too long and spends too much money. But look, look at it, David. It's not just the healthcare piece is huge, but there, there are indirect healthcare pieces like research and development, which have been, had huge spillover effects, like the rapid development of the vaccine or direct healthcare things that are not considered healthcare spending, modernizing our water infrastructure so that we take more lead out of the pipes and we start to equalize access to to uh, to fresh water. I mean, th- there's a lot in here thinking about the future of our transportation. Let's, let, let's com- not completely ignore the transportation infrastructure. Um, it, 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 it's, it's, it's extraordinarily bold. It is interesting, John. Um, you know, on the one hand, certainly there are many things in here that you could say, well, is it, you know, like just like a wish list of things, but it's actually has kind of holds together and has a kind of a, a comprehensive um, approach to it that reminds me in some ways of the Affordable Care Act, which was you could throw stones at it, but it, it actually did represent kind of a comprehensive view of how to think about the system. We talk a lot about social determinants of health here on the show, and there's a lot of things uh, within 
within this bill that would address that. You mentioned that, you know, getting rid of lead pipes, that seems like a good idea. You know, that's certainly going to help uh, help health. Um, there's also a focus on climate change. It's not a climate change bill, but some of this R&D is for, uh, you know, for climate. Some of the research is actually directed, I think half of the research infrastructure building is, is directed at the historically black colleges and universities. Um, there's money for public housing, money to, to build schools, uh, and so on. And, uh, you know, some explicit targeting, as I said, for people that have previously been, uh, been harmed and even undoing some of what had occurred, uh, before, like when the interstate highways came in and went like right through the middle of minority neighborhoods, there's actually funds to go and undo that. Well, what, what do you think the theme is here, David? I mean, cause it is, it is a long list of, innovative ideas, been a big, big and bold innovative investments. What do you think the theme is? It could be called, John, social determinants of infrastructure. <laughs> so it's not just there is money for bridges and stuff, but the bridge is held up, you know, by the fact of the, the trusses and so on. But it's also held up by the fact that you've got uh, people who are healthy and educated and earning a decent wage in order to put it together and to drive over it. I, you see, I, th- I see it as almost a fix, grow and support bill. You're, we're talking about, everyone knows, I think we are now down to somewhere between 11 and 17th in the industrialized world in terms of our our broken infrastructure. And we've got to fix that without a question. I think that there's a support piece here, which is about schools and colleges and healthcare and home care and care to the home. Um, and then there's a, a growth piece of it. I mean, this massive investment in workforce development, in research and development, in colleges, particularly focusing on the historically black colleges and universities. And I, I think that the by calling it infrastructure, they've probably smartly figured out how to position it to get popular support. But I think that there's there's more to it. This is a foundational investment in government starting to expand its support to, to fix, grow, and support the country. John, here's the thing. So we seem to be agreeing with one another too much. You're almost putting me to sleep by reciting all my ideas, which is fine. But the, the last president talked about infrastructure too. He, he even had a whole infrastructure week. How come he's not getting credit? Well, week it was. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, he neither had a bill that made any sense, nor did he, did he even propose any bipartisan support. I mean, even though the Republicans are uniformly dumping on this plan, I think just in the last week, you had uh, uh, Senator Caputo from West Virginia saying that she'd gotten a, a bridge taken care of. Mitch McConnell had, it was, was quoted as saying he'd gotten a bridge uh, in it. Uh, I think Roger Wicker, who is the um, uh, co-chair of the, uh, the Republican uh, senator from Mississippi, said that he and Pete Buttigieg could agree just fine on an infrastructure bill. There's um, there, there, Certainly on the physical infrastructure parts of it, there's a lot of interest from a bipartisan, from a, from a partisan perspective to support it. And it shows that the White House, this White House, uh, is is working a lot harder to to bring more of the senators along from both sides of the aisle. Um, so, David, what's what's not to like in this bill? Well, John, the thing is, of course, it raises taxes, right? Or does it? Because you know what Biden said is he wasn't going to raise taxes on anybody that makes less than four hundred thousand dollars a year. But if you look at this proposal, it actually does not include any increases. Uh, for individual income taxes, it's all about raising the corporate income tax, or he doesn't say raising; he says setting it at twenty eight percent. And this has gone along with uh, show, with um, you know some some uh, reporting that says, "Hey, did you know that uh, ninety one out of the top five hundred companies don't pay any federal tax, and that 
Most pay about 8%. So it's interesting that the Republicans actually haven't gone and bashed it, um, you know, for raising taxes. And also you'd think if the, if the, Oh, they have, you're just not paying attention. All right. But you know what? The stock market's gone up, even though presumably corporations would be worth less if the, uh, if their taxes were going up. So I I think Biden's been very clever about it. And, you know, I also think that what you just described uh, in, in terms of a bridge here and a bridge there, I mean, this is this is an, an introduction. They could call it the American Jobs, Healthcare, Home Care, Infrastructure, and Earmarks Act, too. Well, the earmarks that 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 way that con- congressional people can actually pick and choose projects in their own districts and states to get supported, uh, which was outlawed uh, by the same Congress, is coming back. But I think when you look at the tax, I, I think again the positioning of this is really shrewd. Uh, the the corporate income tax went from I think twenty eight percent roughly to twenty one percent under Trump, and there's no appreciable uh, gain that we got as a country or an economy from that, and at least no nothing that anyone can point to. And I think most voters agree that corporations and wealthy people should be paying their fair share. And to your point, when ninety one of the top five hundred companies pay zero in federal tax, when a lot of these uh, Internet giants like Amazon are massive tax avoiders. I, I think Americans are Americans are ready uh, to see um, everyone invest in in infrastructure that everyone's going to gain from. All right, John. Well, so what do you think the chances are that it's going to pass? I mean, they have to use the reconciliation process, uh, presumably, but uh, you know, maybe they can pull it off. Well, the the interesting thing is with. With we 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 are we are really spending a trillion dollars here, a trillion dollars there. It's sooner or later, it's going to add up to real money. Uh, well, not yet. I I, I think on, on physical infrastructure, you're seeing. I mean, even Roy Blunt, who's the senator, who's the who's the number two Republican on the Senate side, didn't say no to infrastructure. He said, "Let's take it from two trillion to a little over six hundred billion." Um, and and when you're arguing between six hundred billion and two trillion, I think the White House has already won. Yeah. Nice. All right, John. Well, we always win. So let's call it let's call it a win now. Let's not even go into overtime. That's it for another edition of Care Talk. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard or you didn't, please give us feedback and subscribe.